It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. This was a weird game for a lot of different reasons. The Warriors ended up beating the Houston Rockets in Houston, 113-106, and I feel like we kind of have to start with the elephant in the room. This was an example of, A, a poorly officiated game. I didn't think that the officials did a good job, but in some ways, more importantly, and I'll get more into why I thought it was poorly officiated in a second, but it was also an example of why a tightly officiated game, meaning lots of fouls called, really does hurt the Warriors because they have two different components that are really troublesome in those circumstances, and they're good enough to overcome it, as they were tonight, but one... They do not create on their offense what what depending, you know, not really even depending on what the other team does. They don't create the sort of contact regularly to benefit in the way that a lot of other teams do. And two, they create that contact a lot of the time on defense. And I talked about this a few times on Twitter during the course of the game, but at a certain point, reaching and things like that are at at their very basic level they're a value proposition it's you know what are the chances that i affect the play what are the chances that i get a steal what are the chances i get whistled for a foul and as that last component was getting whistled for a foul as the probability of that goes up players whether it's fair or it's not i mean you want to think that it's a just world that every game is going to be perfectly officiated but once you reach the point where refs are calling everything then it's best to kind of stay out of that. And the Warriors, by and large, as a team, have done a good job, with James Harden particularly, of of doing that. But what I was reminded of in this game was that executing in that way has been sort of a narrow thing. You know, Iguodala has gotten a lot better at it. Draymond has gotten better at it as well, especially in terms of guarding Harden. Clay had his moments. Harrison Barnes struggled with this a lot. And in, in this game, the two guys who kind of never really got their got all the way around it in that way were Stephen Curry, who even after he got his fourth and fifth fouls, still kept on reaching, and Matt Barnes. And it's not as big a deal with Barnes because Barnes is a role player, even though he's playing a, a larger role right now. Actually, Livingston, I should mention Livingston too. Those are the those are the three guys. And it's not as big a deal for Barnes and Livingston because they don't play as many minutes beyond the fact that both of them did it at times when the Rockets were in the bonus, and that's especially devastating because 
there was one I was thinking of where Livingston kind of, he basically, he was just try, kind of trying to slow Harden down and in the backcourt and Harden knows exactly what to do in those circumstances, make it look like the guy ran into you a little bit harder and the refs are going to call it. And while some of those calls, even a f- fair number of them openly, I'll admit to that, were not correct at a point you need to realize that that's just the way the game is being officiated. And so you can have a game that is loose. A lot of playoff games are, and that's a reason why many people think that Harden in particular can, and maybe you actually argue Lou Williams is even more strongly in this, that they'll, they'll, they can struggle because when they don't get all of the calls they usually do, then it changes the way their offense works. And the Rockets are a wonderful team. They're certainly dangerous in the playoffs and everything else, but it does change the success rate of their offense. And there are, at the same point, there are certain teams that don't benefit from that. That benefit from from having, you know, from from having a loose game. The Warriors are among that, partially because of the aggressiveness point and partially because they can deal with that sort of contact. And the underlying story that will probably fall by the wayside given everything that happened afterwards is that in that first quarter, which was incredibly important in terms of the final margin, the Houston defense was absolutely atrocious. The Warriors were getting quality looks all over the floor. They were getting layups. They were getting dunks. They were getting wide open threes, actually missed a few open threes that they, you know, that they could have gotten to really, really start pushing the lead. But they were up 37-20 at the end of the first quarter. And really from that point on, especially that rough second, it was holding on for dear life. And what reminded me in this game of last year was that there were times in this game where you kind of thought the wheels were going to come off the train. They were playing well, but they always got a bucket or a stop or a a play that changed the momentum when they needed it. The, The one that sticks out in my mind first was Draymond Green trying to draw a rip through foul on James Harden. This was, I think, with about two minutes to go. And they didn't call the foul, but Draymond, because you, you commit to that, you he went up and it was a, a terrible shot because he's trying to get the foul. And the shot went in anyway. There was another one where I think the Rockets had cut the lead down to five, about three and a half minutes to go. And Matt Barnes drilled a corner three. He actually had two big shots late in this game. And that was a hallmark of last year's team. I mean, last year's team was one of the best, actually, they were the best clutch team of all time in the regular season. But another element of it was that in those sorts of games, when it when it got down to it, they didn't always know where it was going to come from. It was Steph a lot. I mean, he won the he was the unanimous MVP for a reason last year. But it could come from other places as well. There were a few games not in the not in the late playoffs, but there were a few games where Harrison Barnes hit really big shots. Clay, of course, went off for moments. Draymond had some some big clutch shots as well. And that's why this game reminded me of that was that whenever they needed a stop or a, a moment, it was there. And Going back to the refereeing, so I talked about the that I thought it was bad, and I feel like it's good to explain what that is and why I feel that way. So refereeing is, at a, at a basic level, the most important part, and I actually did more baseball than anything else, but it's the same basic principle, is consistency is actually more important over the course of a game than where you draw the line. Because if you're consistent, then at least the players can figure out how they're going to handle it. And while some would argue that, you know, this game was tightly officiated, they were they were, caught, they were whistling everything, the way that it was not consistent was that they were doing a lot of expect, I, I think the best word for it would be expected outcome foul calls. So a guy drives to the lane and he goes down, they would whistle it, 
even though there wasn't the contact that initiated, maybe it was initiated by that player, maybe it was just bad luck. In many ways, the best example of this was actually one that favored the Warriors, which was late in the game, Patrick Beverly got, he swiped at the ball and actually he got it. He got it clean and Curry fell. But the reason Curry fell was because when Beverly stripped him, the ball went between Curry's legs and he kicked it and fell over. And they, they whistled it for a foul because player reaches, offensive player falls, they go, okay, well, that's a foul. It wasn't a foul. It was, it was a proper defensive play. And the same type of thing happened when Draymond Green planted Beverly with a, with a screen, a completely fine screen from everything I could tell. Didn't get there late, nothing like that. Didn't turn the shoulder. And Beverly went down in a heap. And so they will look, players down in a heap, that's a foul. That's not the way basketball works. And that's not a part of consistency because it's whistling legal contact. And it's not even in, in the Draymond case, the Draymond screen case, it wasn't even really that ambiguous. And that's a big problem. And I think I had heard that this crew, you know, this was was generally has a good reputation. I am not as knowledgeable and remember as good at remembering refs and their tendencies and their quality, except for specific ones. And that's to my own detriment. I think that's actually something good for fans to do as well. If you if you can remember it, I know some people who actually keep a notebook of these sorts of things. I know a lot of baseball people actually do that too. And that's a big problem. The idea of being inconsistent, the idea of not of calling it based on things other than the contact that would be a foul or not a foul. And the reason why is because the best plays in basketball a lot of times look the opposite of what they are. So you know players whether we're talking about Harden just being able to basically manufacture contact. And I thought in this game, for the most part, his fouls were actually more properly called than a lot of the other ones because the Warriors were, you know, sticking their hand in the cookie jar and he was catching them. Matt Barnes had a great one of these. Like Matt Barnes just like kind of stuck his hand in there for a second and James Harden makes a living off of killing people for that one second. And so, yeah, I mean, it sucks for Matt Barnes that that was called. That one was actually properly called. But those best plays, you know, when a guy is able to make a stop, and there were a few actually these with Draymond on defense late that were properly called, which was surprising and welcome. Well, I think it was one on Eric Gordon where Gordon, he blocked him and Gordon went down. They didn't call anything. And that could just be the refs going, oh, it's the last couple of minutes. We should, we should let things go a little bit more. But anyway, so that that's bad. And it's obviously incredibly hard when you're a player who's at the, at the highest levels to deal with that and to reconcile that with having to win the game. And a heavily called game also really gets disjointed. I think that was a part of the reason why both these teams struggled massively from three. Warriors were 11 of 41. Rockets were 5 of 31. So 26.8% from the Warriors was far better than what the, than what the Rockets did. Though a fair portion of that was also just guys missing ones they normally make. Harden was one for nine. Clay and Steph both missed just a couple of just ones they almost always hit wide open, you know, in rhythm, everything else like that. And the other part, so like, I mean, I think, so I don't focus as much on the idea of the free throw disparity. It was 35 made, made free throws for the Rockets to 12 because that's just kind of the nature of the beast. And yeah, the Rockets shouldn't have had as many free throws as they did, but you create a circumstance of uncertainty. You create a circumstance of frustration when you do that. But I don't want that to be the entire story from this game because there's a lot of other fascinating wrinkles to talk about. And the one that I want to start with is James Michael McAdoo. So McAdoo was playing incredibly well. This was maybe the best 
stretch that he's had all season. There was another one, I think that was in the Pacers game that he looked really good in. Maybe it was Memphis. It was one, it was on that, on that trip. And he was in for about four minutes, blocked two shots or contested two shots, and then got, as far as I could tell, I was never, I don't think I ever saw a clean replay on it. He got tangled up with Trevor Reza and had a gushing, nasty head wound and had to come out of the game. He never came back in. They were testing him for a concussion. I have not heard at this moment anything definitive in terms of what's going on with that, but certainly disappointing to have that happen when he was playing so well. And Kerr went to him because he trusts McAdoo more against those athletic centers as a pick and roll guy. And McAdoo did a really nice job. He justified that faith in this game. I still think Kerr goes to it too much. And we'll talk about how that kind of came into play later on. And so what that forced in the later portion of the game was, well, his safety blanket wasn't there. David West was, you know, he was okay. He had some nice moments and did that. Zaza Pachulia, I think that his defense was really problematic for a lot of this game. And we don't know exactly where these teams are going to fall, but his issues in terms of pick and roll defense against the Rockets could be one of the best reasons to argue for why the Warriors are better off trying to get the one seed than the two, because that's just a big problem. You know, that's it's a series where he doesn't have as much of a place to be. And yeah, they could go at that point, they could go to Draymond to center more, they could do other things. But the revelation of sorts in this game was that JaVale McGee played really well. And I'm doing this off the cuff, but I, I remember that JaVale had an interesting game the last time they played in Houston. I kind of want to go back and read my game review. I can't remember. I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I think he had a good game then too, in a surprising way. It might've been bad. I think it was right after OKC though. Anyway, McGee looked more active defensively. He was able to do that without being completely ludicrous in terms of fouling. He was also able to, at moments, make the Rockets pay for losing him on possessions. There was one beautiful one. It wasn't even really like a true pick and roll where I think it was Capella just lost him and Iguodala was at the three-point line, saw what was happening, just threw it to JaVale and he got a dunk. Those are plays that the Rockets give up. And this is actually why before everything else that happened in this game, I thought one of the storylines was going to be talking about how particularly Draymond Green, his shot selection was a what at, at moments because he had some other just great play in this game that his, his shot selection early in the clock was problematic because with the Rockets paralleling the, the Portland Trailblazers in those circumstances, when you play a team that if you force them to work for 20 seconds, that they're going to find a seat, you're going to create a seam against those teams. The same shots early in the clock are worse. If you're playing against the Spurs and Draymond gets a three with 16 seconds to go, maybe sometimes you want to go with that because the Spurs are really good. And even with some of their different personnel this year, but the Rockets often spring leaks, not as much as the Blazers do or the Nuggets or somebody like that, but you want to treat that differently. You want to value those possessions. And Draymond is such a smart player and he's was, in, was great on defense for a lot of this game that it's surprising. And I think it all relates to his confidence and his confidence is a central part of why he is such a remarkable player, why he has a very, very good chance of winning defensive player of the year this year. And I'll talk more about that at some point in a future podcast. But that same thing kind of rears its head a little bit as a three-point shooter where he thinks, yeah, I got this. And that confidence is a really good thing. But if he thought of himself more as a 31% three-point shooter every once in a while, especially in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock, that could cut out some of the Warriors' bad possessions. The other way to do that would be some of the more aggressive passes that Curry and sometimes Green throw. But 
that's really about when you ratchet up the degree of difficulty getting into the best of the best that's when those things start to matter it's not as much even in a game like this considering the mistakes that the rockets made and going back to the idea which i talked about earlier of why this game was similar to last year was also the idea that there were kind of the hits that kept on coming in this game the warriors went out to that huge first quarter lead and McAdoo was a part of that he was plus seven in his four minutes and then he gets hurt and he misses the rest of the games so they're like oh well how they're how are they going to make that work and they did that and then Draymond Green goes down and it looks like he's in a, a good deal of pain though he was able to walk off on his own power and then he you know and they looked they, they did okay in his absence I don't think that was the Warriors best stretch of the game but they did okay. And then he comes back. It wasn't a big deal. He just turned his ankle and he got it retaped and, and everything was okay. It was similar to a time that that actually happened earlier this year. And that's really what this was. It was, you know, they would get set with an obstacle, Curry's foul trouble, missed a bunch, missed a, a spat of time in the third quarter and a, and a little bit in the fourth quarter as well due to that foul trouble. Still scored 32 points, 11 and 22 from the field, mostly actually because of a 7 to 10 from the line, which included that the free throw off an absolutely crazy circumstance that the league is actually calling more, which is a good thing, where Iguodala was actually fouled by Eric Gordon before the ball was inbounded. And it, w it wasn't even like it was a, you know, a definitive portion of the game. It was just the Rockets just held on that. And it very rarely gets called. So I understand why guys do reach and do grab on those sorts of circumstances. But it's good for the officials to call it because fouling before the ball is inbounded is a big deal. And so, you know, this wasn't a hacker or anything crazy like that, but it's, you know, it's still a time that you want to, you want to discourage that sort of contact and that sort of conduct. And that's what the call is there for. And Hey, if you're going to rip a ref crew for being bad, at least you got to give them credit for when they do well. And James Harden was at moments, definitively James Harden in this game, incredible as usual at getting to the line. And he created a lot of great looks for his teammates by penetrating, by moving the ball. He actually put some extra extra zip on some balls today, which is interesting because that's something that LeBron James does really well. And you don't see that as much from Harden just because most guys can't throw passes as hard as LeBron James. Even, even with his extra mustard, I don't think they were that as hard as LeBron's are. But he really did struggle early from three. He was one for nine total and late finishing. And it looked like he was having some issues with either his left hand or his left wrist. He's been kind of grappling with something over the last couple of games. And that plus some good Draymond Green contests at the rim really did make a difference in terms of this. And Lou Williams didn't have his best game either. And Ryan Anderson is out with a sprained ankle. So the Rockets didn't have their best things. Of course, the Warriors were without Kevin Durant for this entire game and without Draymond Green for, you know, a decent stretch. Draymond still ended up with 33 and a half minutes played. So he was still exactly, strangely, tied with Curry for the second most on the team. Clay had the most, which he often does at this point. And one pretty incredible stat that's, that's out there is, so... The Rockets only scored 20 points per 100 possessions when James Michael McAdoo was on the floor. That's comically low. That's, you know, and that's what happens when it's not that many possessions. But when Pachulia was on the floor, the Rockets scored 127.4. When Green was on the floor, it's 93.8. And other than a stretch in, I think it was a stretch in the, it was the, I think it was the second quarter, or was at another point where Pachulia was there without Green, for the most part, their minutes overlap. And so that's really impressive to be 93.8 is phenomenal. 127 is phenomenally bad. And that isn't to say, oh, that's all Pachulia's fault. And it's all Green's fault that, that, that the Warriors were so good. But it is worth considering and noting all the same. 
and the Rockets only shot 5 of 13 on shots at the rim when Green was the man to contest that. It's one of my favorite things. It's in Sport View. For those of you who go to the NBA stats site, the game stats, you can go to player tracking and they do a lot of stuff like secondary hockey assists. And But that is, it's DFGM and DFGA. And so it's basically shots at the rim where that person is there. And Green is typically the best warrior in terms of that defense. And a part of being that is just being there. You know, you want to see, especially for big men, you want to see them there a lot. And ideally, you want to see them impacting shots. Like, for example, David West, they scored four of eight when he was there. And JaVale McGee was only there for two, though he did only play seven, uh, about eight minutes in this game. So not that big a deal. But that all, all of that enveloped into the big story of this game, which is that the Warriors got a win that they, they didn't need, but that helps them a significant amount in the quest to be the number one overall seed because it guarantees at least a split on the road trip. They didn't have Durant and it gives them a two and a half game lead on the Spurs, which means that even if they lose on Wednesday in that big national TV game, which Nate Duncan and I are going to do for the Twitter NBA show second screen. So you can check that out, especially those of you who want a different kind of announcing because we're going to so say what we do is we watch it and basically we provide live commentary. So you can check that out. Anyway, that's an aside. Even if the Warriors lose that game, they still have a one and a half game advantage. And yeah, the Spurs have the tiebreaker, but that gives them a little bit of breathing room. And the Warriors have a pretty favorable schedule after this week. This Even after the Spurs game, this is still an ambitious week facing the Rockets on Friday and then the Wizards at Oracle, both that Rockets game and the Wizards game at Oracle on Sunday. After that, it gets a lot easier. And Popovich is notorious for making sure his guys are ready for the playoffs because as is true for the Warriors as well. Getting guys ready for that is far more important than anything else. And you don't, not only the risk of injury, but just making sure that everybody's right. So my instinct is that while nothing is definitive and I mean, Draymond having, having what looked like an ankle injury and you not never knowing how severe that is, is a great reminder that nothing is certain in the NBA that they have a, a material advantage now. And if they can win one of the next two or ideally two of the next three, especially if the Spurs game is, is one of those, then they will have a prohibitive, prohibitively high chance. And also, I think the ancillary benefit of that is getting the Spurs to then probably take their foot off the gas pedal. And, and that's not going to happen. I, I had kind of thought of the idea of if the Warriors won both of their games before now, before the Spurs game, that maybe the Spurs would do that anyway. Two and a half isn't enough. I had miscalculated. I thought it was three at that, but I just missed a game. So it's two and a half. And the Spurs are still going to try, as far as I can tell. And I will be greatly disappointed if either team kind of does that, though. I would understand if, you know, if Draymond's stuff, if he wakes up in the morning and doesn't feel good, that they could change that around a little bit. But we'll have to see. But it really does firm up the prospects of the Warriors getting the number one overall seed. It was another strong overall team performance without Kevin Durant. And I only saw little bits and pieces because I was not in Houston today of his pregame workout, but from what I could tell, it looked like he was looking good. They will have an update on his situation tomorrow. I'm guessing it'll be shortly before the game, and I don't know exactly what we're going to see, but my instinct is something like maybe the last week of the regular season he can play and they can ramp him up. Maybe you start him small 10 minutes a game and, and move it up a little bit. But if he's looking as comfortable as he is now, maybe you change that a little bit. But the most important part is just getting him as ready as possible for the playoffs and making sure that there's no chance of re-injury. And the other part, while it's putting the cart before the horse a little bit, 
because the Warriors haven't clinched anything in terms of the number one seed. The other story of tonight that I wanted to mention briefly is that Portland basically put a lock on the eight seed. It's not over. It's not resolved, but they beat Denver. They have an easier schedule than Denver does. They also have the tiebreaker on Denver and Portland. You know, they played really well since the break. They're still not a great uh, still not poor the Warriors are still not a great matchup for them so something we saw last year when the Warriors went up I believe 2-1 in that series before Curry came back and then had that crazy fourth quarter in overtime in game four and then they won the series in game five so a lot of those underlying elements are true even though they swapped Mason Plumley for Yusuf Nurkic who was an absolute demon tonight but that is starting to look more stabilized the Rockets are looking pretty stable in the three seed and then the other stuff is still working itself out but overall it is kind of rounding into form at this point and you would expect that as we're getting basically to about two weeks left in the regular season for things to work out the east is still wild but the west is starting to kind of come into form and for those who have strong opinions on who they think are good or bad teams that starts to change the way you think about what seed is better what seed is way worse and everything like that so that is enough for now a remarkable game for a lot of those reasons and another big one tomorrow with the san antonio spurs game is at i believe 6 30 pacific time and have plenty to say on that probably going to have a guest i i haven't lined it up yet but that is my anticipation i also wanted to have one for today but then my own timeline got all garbled up i also today announced uh the book that i published or that i i finished the first manuscript of a hundred things warriors fans should know and do before they die which is a continuation of that great series from from triumph and that will come out in october if you want to hear me talk about that at length you can listen to the locked on warriors that came out during the day today because i submitted the draft before you know it was it was done in the morning so i couldn't didn't have time to turn around for a podcast so you can listen to that as always any feedback good bad or indifferent danny larue mba at gmail.com at danny larue on twitter if you want to support the show leave a rating leave a review and subscribe download every episode those things are great nate duncan and i are also going to talk about warriors rockets in some detail on the dunked on basketball podcast it was a big game we both watched it we're going to talk about it so you can listen to that as well if you want more warriors rockets content we might go in a very different direction with it i'm legitimately unsure so check us out tomorrow going to do that and then of course do twitter nba show and then warrior spurs and then also you can read my work at the athletic going to have a game analysis piece that should go up before i go to sleep tonight and then hoping to do every player tomorrow morning unless i really really can't sleep tonight so you can check that out hopefully i'll have it done during you know early in the morning at some point so thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day hey bay area sports fans this is ben kaspik host of the locked on giants podcast which should be the next locked on podcast you fire up in your feed the MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked on Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked on Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.